You are now listening to My Faithway Podcast. You can now find us on every major platform. And don't forget to visit our Facebook page with live services every Sunday at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you want to become a partner or simply make a one-time donation, please text the word FAITHWAY to 77977. Click send and you will receive a link for further instruction. Feel free to comment on our Facebook Live stream services or visit our page at myfaithway.org. Now let's experience life in a new way, the Faithway. Well, good morning, church. I'm sorry I'm awkwardly standing up here. We've got a lot of effects. Sorry. We're having a little bit of mic issues with our handheld. But um, announcements, announcements, announcements that we have. We have two new announcements um, to share with you guys today. And I think we have some flyers to display up there for you guys also. Um, ladies, ladies, we're going to start with the ladies conference. Ladies, we have something special in store for you. This is the second time that we will be doing Joyce. Um, one of her live conferences, this is for the love life, and this is just for ladies. Um, we will be doing this February 6th, I'm sorry, February 2nd at 6 p.m. We are making a uh, an event online, that way you can RSVP and register, um, and it is completely, completely free. It is free, bring someone with you, and this year we're doing something a little bit different, and we're doing it a pajama party for our ladies. A pajama party, so you get to come in your pajamas, come in your slippers. We are going to have a lot of um, raffles and giveaways, prizes, and most importantly, we're going to receive the answers on how to tackle anxiety. I mean, because it's not, you know, anxiety doesn't discriminate it comes and it attacks every single person and this teaching that we will be receiving is going to be a live stream with Joyce Meyer and it's going to specifically target how women how women can tackle and overcome anxiety and manage so this is going to be something great that you don't want to miss we had a very very nice time last time that we had this event um it's at 6 p.m. Bring someone with you. It's free. We have food. And this time, we will have free child care. So if you don't have a sitter, bring your child. We have child care here for you. Um, we also have um, a fundraiser. So this year, you know, we were all in agreement, I think, each and every one of the leaders and our pastor. Um, we all had this little stirring inside of us. And what we wanted to do was improve our campus. We wanted to localize and center on our campus here, improve our church, improve our buildings. So we will be um, planning multiple fundraisers so that we can restore and beautify our church. Um, you know, because we honor God's house, we know that he will honor ours, amen? So we, this is one of our first uh, fundraisers. It's gonna be a bake sale. Um, this is Sunday, February 12th. So right before uh, Valentine's Day, Men, I know some of you guys sometimes forget to buy your, your wives their Valentine's gifts, so nothing better than taking them some chocolate. There's lots of chocolate, lots of cakes, brownies, and this is very, very good food, guys. Good, good desserts. So um, you can even um, request ahead of time your own special order, and ladies' ministry will make it for you, too. So this is going to be at 9.30, Sunday, February 12th. And whatever is remaining, if there is anything left after service, we will continue after service. Um, and then we also uh, announced um, Healing of the Nations. Healing of the Nations is going to be moved to July this year. 
Healing of the Nations is in Arizona at Covenant of Faith, and I don't think there is a flyer released yet. I was looking for it earlier this morning. But it's usually in August, which makes it a little difficult for um, working um, people to go and uh, parents to go because in August, that's whenever school starts. So it's in July. So if you've been, you know, wanting to go and experience, wanting to see how you can help, how you can, you know, be a source of light and be God's hands and feet, this is a perfect place to go. And it's, you know, it's wonderful. You know, my husband and I, we've gone and we've taken our kids with us and they have an excellent, excellent kids ministry that goes over there. And my kids love it there. So um, you can take your kids, you can take your entire family. Callie will be send, sending us some coupon codes. So if you are interested, as soon as she sends those, we will display them here on a flyer for you guys because it, get, it does give you a break on paying for hotels. Um, we do get a big percentage off of it. So, And it is a seven-day conference. So um, as soon as the speaking schedule is released, you can choose which days you want to go or you can go all seven days. Um, it's an all-day event. There's music, there's prayer, there's worship, and then there's powerful, powerful teachings. Um, and then, of course, Kenneth Copeland will be headlining the conference. So we look forward to this, and we'll be sharing more information as it comes out. So kids, at this time, you guys are dismissed. Let's give them a round of applause. Look at all these kids. And I think last week when we counted, we did the attendance count, I think we had close to 35 or 40 students. So that was amazing. I think Jam Club, our pre-K, our pre-K had 13, 13 kids. So that's amazing. We're growing church. That right there is a sign of a thriving church. Children, children. Amen. So if you have joined online, let us know where you're tuning in from. Uh, let us know anything in the chat that you're joining us. There is somebody who's back there who's ready to engage with you. And at this time, let's go ahead and open up our hearts and get ready to receive life in a new way, the faith way. I took my shirt off not to hurt y'all San Francisco fans. Question. That's all I'm going to say if you're a San Francisco fan. Have you ever been to California? Have you ever been to San Francisco? Because if you ever go to San Francisco, you will definitely stop being a 49ers fan, okay? That's all I'm saying. It's a mess. But anyway, go Cowboys. I got it out of my system. Took it off. Hey, Marcus, Abigail. Little Cowboy fan right here, right? I don't even want to take a poll because then we have all this division in church and so but anyway, glory to God. Can you fix my mic a little bit? Sound like I'm, I don't know why it sounds like. Maybe I gotta fix it here. Hang on. Mute me. Sound like I'm in a cave. There you go. Let me lower it. Okay, let's get right into it this morning. And if you were here last week, you know where we're going. If you weren't, well, you'll catch up. But you know, we've been talking about this idea of. Um, well, I'm not talking. You know, the Lord's been dealing with me for thinking about it, studying it for over eight months. And just finding the right time to present it. And also, you know, the right time to present it as I've had to process some things in my own life, you know. And, and I heard preachers say many years ago, and I, I stayed with me as a young pastor, stayed with me. He said, never, never preach what you're going through while you're going through it. You know, preach when you got when you're out. But, you know, we've gone through some things, you know, and just because you're a minister, as a pastor, whatever, you're not exempt of anything. If anything, I feel you kind of get a little harder 
hit, you know, because the devil figures if he takes one of us out, he'll take a few of you guys with us, you know. But um, the idea that, that uh, you know, the, the, where I kind of began this, I'm just going to introduce it, and then we'll get into, you know, for those of you who weren't here last week, you know, how do you bring the idea of mental health and spirituality? Because the church, and I hate to use the word notorious, but I don't have another word, has been notorious, and I mean the church as a general church, you know, the body of Christ, regardless of what name you have on the sign outside, has managed this, and, you know, in my thir- almost 30 years of ministry, plus all my years of being a Christian as a child and going to church most of my life and going to Christian schools most of my life, it seems like the subject was never addressed. Maybe it was addressed, maybe it was talked about, maybe it was touched upon, but it was never addressed. And never, if anybody brought it up or if anybody was struggling with any form of darkness or, you know, mental issues or situations, it was like, well, let's pray about it or, you know, get over it or worst case scenario, maybe there's something wrong with you. You're not spiritual. So what happens when people began to deal with issues because the church failed to really understand this well, people just lock it up. You know, you don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to come to church and seem not spiritual. And all this stigma was created around the idea of mental health, and and it's really sad because a lot of people have fallen through the gaps, and um, not have found the help that they need. So, you know, I approach this, and this I want to make clear to everybody listening, our online audience, everyone watching. I approach this as a pastor. You got that right. Pretty simple. <laughs> you know, I'm not approaching it as a counselor. I'm not approaching it as a psychiatrist or a psychologist. I approach it as a pastor. But at the same time, you know, I have a, I'm not that guy that's on the edge, is like, you know, hyper everything is spiritualized. No, you know, there's a balance between spirit and life. And I think if you don't understand that balance, then first of all, you get frustrated with being spiritual. Most of you probably have felt it at some point. Because if you don't have that balance, you know, pretty soon it's like, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm never doing enough. Anybody? It's like, we're never doing enough. And that's not, that's not God. I mean, first of all, grace is not about how much you do. <laughs> Amen. Let's start there. It's about what he does, right? But religion does that. Religion just, you've got to keep doing it. So when it comes to these ideas, you know, about, you know, the process, what is amazing, when you go into the Bible, you find it all through the Word. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, even in the life of Jesus, you find him dealing with emotions, dealing with sadness, dealing with low spots in our life. And Old Testament is full of stories. I mean, it seemed like God would sometimes pick the most depressive people <laughs> to do stuff for him. I mean, Jeremiah, he, he, was, he was a nutcase. He was sad, man. He, he was, you know, and at the end of the day, his people killed him. That's how bad hit went for him, you know? His own people killed him. I mean, that's pretty sad. But he was very, you know, but you see that, that, that going through life is, you know, especially Christian life is not just this big bubble, and the church has to understand it. So once again, as a pastor, I got to approach it from the pastoral perspective, but at the same time, I make the, you know, and I do, do spend a lot of time in this, you know, and, and I study from a lot of views and a lot of perspectives and a lot of science. I don't just study spiritual side of this. So I want to go ahead and start here this morning. And we're going to focus, and it's probably going to take us a couple weeks, but we're going to try to analyze what this idea of depression is. You know, we last, last week we kind of had a general introduction of mental health, and we're going to pick through some of these. You know, we, we, there were four. So when you deal with the idea of depression, you know, we have to really understand that it's a very complex theme. And your experience and my experience and the person sitting next to you's experience is probably going to be completely different. And there are various kinds of depressions, you know, and, and that's why it's, it's important to me to, if you want to call it a disclaimer, not even a disclaimer, but if you are in a situation like this, you, you need to hear this. So 
Give me that first scripture. Let's start with scripture this morning. Let's have about that, and then we'll get into it. So this is one of my, you know, when you talk about this subject, this is such a good scripture. It says, anxiety is in the heart of man, causes depression. But I like this. But a good word makes it glad. Are you here this morning? So what we're trying to do, because every time you talk about the word depression, it's like, oh, I'm depressed. No. At the end of this, I'm going to try to make you glad. Well, that was a lot of excitement in that word. Let's go to something else. I think they all, these people have no mental health issues for sure. I've counseled some of you. I know, I know, I know what's up. So this morning, let's look for a good word. What do you say? That's what we're doing. So remember, the Bible says these things. There is anxiety, and anxiety causes depression. Well, you know, it took science a few thousand years to come up with that, but, you know, Solomon knew it. Is that cool? Because anxiety and depression is connected. So we're, we're going to break all this stuff down. Now, now I want to go into a Bible story, which I think is really fun. And again, I'm going to super com- compress it because it's very long. But there's a story in 1 Kings 19. And there's other parts. I only put one scripture. Give me those. I only put one scripture to the story of 1 Kings. Because this is a classic story of what we deal with. And I want to bring you up of what's going on before you read the scripture. And there's actually some scriptures that I didn't put up there that I might have to look. That's why I'm getting in the Bible here. So we find, you know, Elijah, he had just done probably one of the greatest signs and wonder feats. Not the greatest, but this is Old Testament stuff, right? And if you don't know what he did, so let me give you like the five, not even five minutes, the two-minute history that brings us to here. And that will, that will help you, keeps us from reading three chapters. So there's a division in the kingdom of Israel. So basically, there's a civil war. I'm not going to get a lot of details. And part of them were really worshiping other gods. They had left God, you know. And Elijah was one of the last guys. I mean, he was like the last prophet that was standing up like, you guys got to get this right. God is this. So they gathered all these prophets that worked for Jezebel and, you know, Ahab and all that. They were part of that division. And they said, no, you're wrong. Our gods are greater. So Elijah says, oh, yeah, really? And he's, I like him a lot because he's super sarcastic like me. There's a lot of sarcasm in the Bible. You, I mean, you find out, if you read the story of Elijah, he's like even worse than I am, trust me. So he says, oh, yeah, your God is, and this is one guy. And he's got maybe a couple servants. He's not by himself. He's the one guy. He says, okay, we're going to do this test. If your God is it or my God is it. So they say, we're going to call. Now, remember, this, there's a drought. They're trying to break a drought. It's been three years. It hasn't rained because Elijah stopped it. He said, no more rain, no more rain, boom. So the country's dying, you know, especially it's in the Middle East, it's already hot to begin with, now you've got a three and a half year drought. So this is a desperate situation, there's, you know, so they need rain. So they gather the prophets, and they gather, you know, their prophets, and Elijah by himself, basically, and they create an altar, and they say, whoever, whosoever God comes down and burns this altar up, he's the the one. So he says, y'all go, go ahead and do what y'all need to do. So they start ranting and carrying on the prophets, and they start cutting themselves, and they start screaming and yelling, and nothing happens. And nothing. And Elijah, this is where sarcasm says, well, maybe, he's, maybe he can't hear you. And this is, this is in the Bible. You've got to love the Bible. It says, maybe he's in the bathroom. That's actually in the Bible. You know, it's like, really? You know, it's in there. It's hilarious. So he's like mocking, like, maybe he's, maybe he's out of town. You know, your, your God's not working. When they gave up, over, what was it? H- 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 300? Over 300, right? The, the prophet, something, it's a number, a huge number. They're all cut up, they're bleeding, they're beat up, nothing worked. And Elijah says, my turn. He says, but let's make this really, we're going to kick it up a notch. He says, I want water. Well, the water is like gold. 
Well, they find water, and they just start dumping water on the altar. Soak it wet. I don't want just rye lumber because you're going to say lightning hit it. No, I want this soaking wet. This is Elijah's heart. This is a man of God. You know, he's come, you know, and remember, this is Old Testament, so he's not born again. That's a key. But he's still in the spirit of God. And he says, you know, bring water and all that. And then he says, you know what, let's do this. And he calls out to God, God, long story, boom, God blows up the thing with fire from heaven. And then he turns around and kills all the prophets. I mean, this is a serious guy. Somebody you probably wouldn't want to mess with, right? I mean, somebody says, I can bring fire from heaven. You probably should just, like, go somewhere else. Well, after that, there's a couple other stories. But what happens is that Jezebel, now, do you remember this? He just killed 300 prophets. And God and fire and, just, you know, this big show of amazing supernatural power. But then Jezebel, which was the queen, gets wind of what Elijah says. And listen to this. This guy just demolished with the power of God and his faith. This amazing feat, and then one woman, everybody say one woman. <laughs> Guys are like, I know, Pastor, I know. All it takes is one woman. All she says, she says, I'm going to kill him. That's it. One little woman says, I'm going to kill him. And he just finished 300, and he gets so scared, he goes into depression. And here we are. This is right after that feat. This, and the reason this story is wonderful is because this is life, church. You know, life is not about being on the mountain all the time. I mean, that would be awesome, but that's not sustainable. Amen? And because that's not even real. So we think, you know, Elijah, how is he, you know, man of God, full of God, just destroyed 300 prophets, had to believe God for the fire to come from heaven. And then one woman says, I'm going to kill you. And something, and I'll tell, you what the, I'll tell you what the key to understanding this. It's not that Elijah was a sick guy is that while he was working the destruction of the prophets and all that mess, he was 100% under the power and influence of God. Well, when that, and remember, that's why I said, remember, he wasn't born again. So the presence of God in the Old Testament, and you can see it, will lift. That's why David did something amazing, and then he had a guy killed to commit adultery. Y'all hear? In the Old Testament, the presence would lift. So once the presence lift, you got the real Elijah. The one that didn't have that, and he found out that Jezebel, and she was a powerful woman. Don't, mis- don't, you know, don't, <laughs> don't undermine her. She will get rid of you. She's a powerful woman. But when he heard that, he heard it, you ready, in the natural mind. I'm already preaching a little bit about how this works, but we're going to get into a lot of details. So now he comes, and I like, I like the solution, and it goes on into other verses, which I was going to read, but maybe of time I won't. So I'll just pick this one. So he's all depressed, and he runs, and he, you know, he just kind of doesn't know what to do. And he goes to God, and he says, he came to a broom bush. And I was going to show you a picture of a broom bush. That's not much of a shade. <laughs> that gives you an idea what it looks like. First of all, it doesn't say tree. So he's cramped up under this, completely depressed. And look what he prays. Lord, kill me. Nobody's ever said that in this room. He sat under and prayed that he might die. I mean, dude, have you ever been in life where, like, everything just went perfect for you, and then the next week you want to kill yourself? Don't say yes. Because then we'll have to take notes and call, you know, authorities and all that. Have a whole lot of people getting hauled out of here. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, this is life. You know, he was on the, on, the, on the mountain of God. But then life comes, and he gets hit with this depression, and it is, and he says, 
And then, and you says, I haven't, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Pay attention now, because this is a key. And I'm already going to preach a little bit to managing, especially, you know, depression and anxiety and these things. And I'm going to, I'm going to make, get into something here, which I said earlier about, you know, explaining something. But here it is. He was exhausted. That's a sign. He was discouraged. He felt like giving up. Just say an amen, just as if you've ever been there. Amen. I'll say amen about 15 times. I might, might have been there this morning. Hello. This is life. He had, and, and then he beats, you know, he's, beat, he's beating himself down. There's a lot we could pick to this, you know, about his, how he sees himself. He's not, he's no good. So he's, you know, he has a, a very inferior image of his own self. He's tired. He's discouraged. He felt so low that he wanted to die, and he was experiencing a severe form of depression. Well, in the Bible, you find out, and I just put some of the notes out here, you know what? Jesus wept twice when he saw Jerusalem and when he heard about John the, the Baptist being executed. So Jesus was a man of emotion. Job, you want to go down that path? That was a tough one. Saul, that one's pretty obvious. He had a spirit that would come on him and would torture him. David? He wrote many song, psalms that were just absolutely depressive. You know, somehow he would find hope in that psalm, but at the time, you know, my enemies are after me. David walked in these things. So and the reason I'm using is this, the, the point of, of, of what I'm using this slide specifically or this comment is that don't you ever feel like you're weird or you're off or, you know, you don't have it all together because you are going through something like this in your life. Amen? Now, Let's, let's, I should have probably put this at the front end, but give me the next one, RJ. Let's um, keep moving. So here's what I want to mention. I already mentioned at the, at the front end. Everyone's experience is completely different. But this is, you know, if you were to break down the different types of, of depression and mental, you know, in that, because there's a lot of mental stuff. So we're just, we're just specifically talking about this one. You know, next week we'll hit some other ones, and we'll talk about the monkey brain and how to get your thoughts in order and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But... These are the ones that you're going to find. So when we talk about biological, that basically means that there was something, you know, it's a physical or physiological aspect of depression. It includes its changes in brain chemistry, genetics, and this can be caused by imbalances in neurotransmitters such as serotonin and dopamine. So this is a very medical type of situation. Now, in in my, I've been studying, you know, this is a thing. So here's where I talked about this last week, and I want to make this mention. I want to clear it up again, because if you're new to the church or you're watching me online and you're like, well, well you know, because we're going to get to the spiritual. You know, this is the, the whole premise of the series is mental health and, mental health and spirituality. How, how do they work? So biological basically is a medical condition. Well, here's a question that I said last week. If you were to be in, you know, some kind of situation where you broke your arm, and I know I was kind of joking about it, broke our arm, I want to say, if not everybody in this room, maybe there's that one person that has crazy hyperfaith that can, which would be great. Jesus heals broken arms. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to pray to God. Ow, it hurts, Lord, heal me. And then about 15 seconds later, if it's not supernaturally healed, I'm going to the doctor. Is that okay? Because it's a broken arm, right? Now, God can fix it. God healed my grandson supernaturally. We have x-rays. You guys remember that story about five years ago? He had a broken foot, and it looked really bad, and at the end of the day, I mean, that was a miracle. So we've seen these things. I mean, that, I'm talking with x-rays. This is, like, proven, so it's really cool. So biological depression is if something is off on you, you know, in your chemistry and so forth, and your mental, 
Well, you need to pursue it just like you would pursue medicine to fix your broken arm. I've recommended, and in almost 30 years of counseling, I've sent quite a few people to professional counseling because they would come to my office, and I would take it as far as I could go from the spiritual angle. And then I would say, look, this is how we can manage this, but there's something a little deeper. Are you here? So don't be that person to say, well, God's, yeah, God can heal everything, but if you don't, in other words, why do you take mental health and put it in a different category? That would be my question to you. You know, everything else, we'll to go to the doctor, and we'll take our medicine, and we'll do what. But when it comes to mental health, it gets like, ugh, they're going to think I'm crazy. Let me help you. Everybody already thinks you're crazy. So get past that one, right? You have to see it the same way. It's just simply a medical condition. Get treatment. It might work. It might not. You know, there's, other, there's a lot of stuff. Like I said, this is a very, very, you know, deep subject. So I'm trying to try to hit it at, you know, ministerial level. So now you have the other kind, which is psychological. And psychological is kind of in the middle of the biological and the social. And I'll explain social in a moment. So psychological would be defined as emotional and cognitive aspects of depression, including negative thoughts, feelings of worthlessness, and difficulty in experiencing pleasure. And be caused by life events, loss of loved ones, traumatic experiences, so forth and so on. In other words, you experience a traumatic event, abuse, you know, something, cause PTSD, so forth and so on. So psychological depression kind of is that, that gray area where, and this is where we all come in. Because most of us, I'm going to say always, most of us have experiences. Amen? Most of us have experienced some of these things. And what you get out of it is to say, okay, there are paths, and this is what we're going to look at in the next few weeks. There are paths that you don't need medicine to get better. Y'all here this morning? I'm not, going, I'm, not, I'm not even touching the spiritual. I'm not even touching God fixes yet. I'm talking about things at the end of the service. You'll he- see some things that you could go home this week. Because I didn't want to leave you guys this week like, well, that was good, but I don't have any instructions. No, you will. And it's going to be up to you to put the discipline. But here's the thing. We're trying to combine. I keep bringing this up so I don't lose anybody. We're trying to combine what's the spiritual aspect and what's the natural aspect. So when you talk about psychological depression, that's kind of in the middle. You know, there could be, you could get diagnostic from a, you know, from a psychologist where he he or she would recommend medicine to help you, you know, get some stuff in order. Or you could be on treatment for a season. Let's say you had a very traumatic event, you know, family loss or something. They said, well, you know, you need to be on it for a season until things balance out. Well, so, so there could be that aspect, but there's the other aspect, and I was listening to the, a doctor, a Jewish doctor, been listening quite a bit to him, Yosef, I think is his last name, and he, and he is, you know, he's not approaching it from a Christian perspective, absolutely, you know, from a psychological perspective, and he says, I mean, he's out there, he's, he believes that 80% of, of most depressions that he's treated, and this guy had worked like in insane asylums and stuff like that, he says 80%, fall under the category of, of physio, uh, physiological and social. He said it's very few that, that there's actually something really wrong with somebody. But, you know, sometimes the tendency of medical science is just to kind of, you know, you know again, doctors are just humans. You agree with that? And if you don't trust your doctor, get another one because it still works by faith. And doctors sometimes they'll just write it off. They're like, well, here, take this. Make you feel better. Well, the problem with that is that, you know, we, we are treating symptoms but we're not getting healed. And the day you're off that, it's going to come back like a tidal wave. It's going to be bad and then some. So we have to say, is there another option? 
Well, unless, and I'm saying this, this is like my disclaimer, make sure everybody's on the right page. Unless the doctor has, unless you have a physical situation, I'm talking chemistries, there's been, you know, blood work, the whole thing, you got to do that path, you know, believe God, we're going to believe God for you, and if that's you, I'll pray for you, and we'll believe God, but you don't get off your meds. Because that could be very dangerous for you and other people. So you just go the path and you get healed. It's like, you know, is God going to heal my, my eyes? I believe God can heal my eyes. My eyes aren't that bad. I mean, I wear glasses, reading glasses, like, you know, I can see pretty good. I see everybody blurry. Maybe I should preach that way because that way I won't see you all gawking at me. But um, if I say, oh, God can heal my eyes, and I chunk my glasses, stupid, right? Now, when I put my glasses on and I see you all blurry and I take them off and I see you all clear, I'm going to go, glory to God. But till that happens, I'm going to keep my glasses. What's the difference with medicine? This is called a prescription glass. So, once again, I'm spending a lot of time, so I don't want somebody to come back and say, well, you know, you preached something, somebody got off their meds, and they blew up stripes. You know, that's not me, right? <laughs> I'm being silly with this, but this is a very serious thing. So that's the one. And then you get to social, and this is a really big one, and I'm going to say some things, parents, you listen to me now, because I'm under the same microscope now with this. So social, it refers to social, cultural factors that may contribute to depressions, poverty, social isolation, lack of access to health care. It can be caused by lack of social support, unemployment, or discrimination. And it can also be caused by life changes. You know, you, you, you grew up in a town, you knew everybody, and then your job, you said, went other way, you know, you don't know anybody, now you're, you know, you're completely depressed. Or, you know, they talk about Christmas depression, you know. I love Christmas, but I also get very emotional at Christmas because I remember mom and dad and all that. So you have seasonal depressions. Well, again, once again, all the social and most of the psychological aspects, and I'm, I'm, again, I'm not even touching the word yet, have been shown through different avenues to have great results without medicine. And that's what I said last week. Whatever I teach in this room from this point forward will be here because I have to respect the medical side. You guys okay with that? All right. Okay, let's go on. Give me the next one, Archie. Let's, let's move in. So depression, first of all, let's make something. First of all, it's not a sign of weakness or a lack of faith. Depression is a universal human experience. There was a stat, and I, I should have written it down. It was really interesting, and I didn't, because you guys should see these notes. I, I'm going to show my daughter my notes. She's like, oh, my God, you know. Dad, how do you even put that together? But there was um, a, what is it, the World Health Organization came out, and, and they have this thing, I, you know, they have this thing called, I guess, World you know, mental health, something, something. And they have this, this you know, how they, they gauge this. And they had it, and it went from like 2004, and then, they, you know, 2011. And here's what it says. It says that the number one thing that reduced quality of life, in 2007, like, depression was number three. Worldwide scale, that reduced quality of life. By 2013, worldwide, it was number one reason for quality of life. So if you don't think this is a relevant subject, now you have to understand, in America alone, it's over, I believe, one trillion, not billion. You, you guys don't even know what a trillion is. We can even count. It'd take your whole life just to count a trillion. But over one trillion dollars are spent just on depression. So this is a thing. But here's the thing. You have to understand, it's never a sign of weakness. Because that, once again, bring it back to the spiritual context, if you're not careful... The church will judge you on that. Well, I'll tell you one thing. This church won't because this church is preaching on it. Amen. 
you know, but a lot of places you, you don't have that openness, and that's where you really have to be careful on it. So um, here's another idea, and I'm going to get some scripture, and we're going to start dissecting this. Let's go down, and one of the things that I've, and I'm just going to go to my, my own experience, in counseling, and even in my own life, when you've gone through various, you know, you're feeling a down moment, your, your relationship's under pressure, that could cause depression, it could cause all these sadness moments, you know, this, this hole where you can't dig yourself out of. And I've counseled people like that. And some of them, you know, we had success. They, they followed, you know, a spiritual path of prayer and meditation and so forth and so on. And I'll teach some of those things here. If not today, we'll get, to, we'll get some today, definitely. But there was a little phrase that I would say, and then, it would hit, then I, would, I, would, I was actually really analyzing it for this teaching. And I'm sure you've said it or, or some version of it. But I would hear this a lot, especially people that were fighting depression. They say, Pastor, all I want to be is just happy. I just want to be happy. Well, that's wonderful. That's all of us want to be happy. In our Constitution, it gives us the right to pursue it. But if I told you, okay, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy, but that is such a vague statement. So let's, because this is really like the premise of where we're going to go on now for everything else, what I'm going to teach you right now. Or I'm going to teach you just illustrated to help you understand it. So if I said, what are the steps to be happy? Because everything's going to start with a step. Say amen. You got to church, you got to get out of bed. <laughs> so let's change it. Let's imagine there's a person that, I mean, this is, you really have to go on your imagination because, you know, there might be that one person on the planet Earth, but let's just assume there's, you, you, you run into a person that has no idea what a bath is, has never taken a bath, doesn't know what a bath is, doesn't know what a shower is, and you tell them, you need to take a bath. Okay. So if I told you, we need to tell this guy how to take a bath. So I'm going to say, uh, Kathy, tell me, we've got to teach this guy. He doesn't have an idea. How are you going to teach him how to take a bath? Well, you could say, you don't have to answer. You could say, well, you need to get wet. That's start, right? You got to lather. You got to rinse. You got to dry, and then you got to put your clothes on, please. So you got five steps. But for somebody that has no idea how to take a shower, that's not going to help them. Because let's be honest, if you were to really... Now, I used to work, most of you know, until, until you know, I went on my own. I was environmental manager at a big foundry in Mexico, and it was an American company. I worked for the American side. And one of the things we did, we created procedures. I remember when I, I probably was running H crazy. When, I first, when we were first trying to build a church, remember that age? I came with this engineering mindset, and I'm like, procedures for this and procedures. And H is like, I had like a procedure for the tithe. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like procedures. Because in a procedure, it is very important that you can't miss a step. You can't miss one step. And, and again, I, I'm trying not to bore you guys, but this is very relevant to the teaching, so just follow with me. We have a thing, especially when you get in safety, and you're working with robotics. And even back then, we were already working with robotics. That's, gosh, that's 30 years ago. There was already machines doing things. And they have something called this, a lockout system. And some of you who work in oil field know exactly what I'm talking about. A lockout is a lock that makes sure nobody can get in that's not supposed to touch that. Because you could die. You could blow something up or that robot could kill you. So you'd have to write procedures for lockout. You know? And you'd have to detail every single step. So going back to, hey, I'm going to teach you how to take a bath. You need to get wet. You need to lather. You need to rinse. That's not enough. To be honest, you would have to say, okay, step number one, I'm going to put a picture of a house. 
in that house, and I have to step number two, there's a room that is very different to all the other rooms. And then I would have to go on and describe that room. It doesn't have a bed. It has these little weird, the, the guy's never seen a commode. He's never seen anything. So now you have to describe the inside of a bathroom, and you've got to describe the inside, which one is the shower. Then you've got to describe how the thing works so he doesn't burn his skin off. Then you've got to step, you know, step 45, open the water. You're, you're not even in, in the shower. You're already in step 45. My whole point of this illustration, that's what we're doing with the idea of, I want to be happy. What are the steps to be happy? Is it one, two, three? That'd be great. But it could be 50 or 60 steps. Because the problem with, with the, uh, the it's, it's such a vague idea to be happy because, you know, the, the opposite of depression obviously would be happiness. So what are the steps to be happy? And that's where it gets really vague because nobody has really defined it. And you know who's the only person that can define it is you. Because happiness will never be a permanent condition. <laughs> so it's really hard to say I'm going to be happy because happiness is different than joy. Joy is a state of peace that a Christian has. I mean, if you were, if you were not to, if you were to, if I was to convince you, give me one reason, Pastor, why I should be a believer, that would be the one reason. If you never come to church, if you, you know, I mean, you have, you, you have to educate yourself, but I'm just saying, if you just encountered Christ the way we've encountered him, he gives you that peace that even through depression and even through anxiety and even through complicated things, the joy doesn't leave. The joy is simply knowing my life is really miserable, but somehow it's going to work out. Well, happiness is not. Happiness is momentarily. I'm happy. I'm not. Like today, we're going to be extremely happy when the Cowboys win. Just saying, 49er fans, just, you know, don't want to break your heart. Just so you know. But, you know, that happiness will be, ooh, and the next day we've got to go to work. We're not, that's not going to help. That's not going to make me happy at work. I've got to find my happy in work, Right? Or, you know, I get in a fight with my wife, and I'm, you know, you know the Cowboys, well, that's not going to make me happy. So happiness is, is a spurt. That made me happy. That made me happy. That made me happy. So you've got to be careful that you don't get on this thing, well, I just want to be happy. No, you don't. You want to be alive. That's what you want to be. You want to be real. You want to be alive, and you want to have the tools to manage this life in the best way possible without losing your mind. <laughs> Amen? Because the world is pretty, ra- I mean, again, if you don't think there's a mental health crisis, just look at the news. You know, I was thinking as I was closing the gate this morning, coming out, I was thinking about the furries. Everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? Thank God you are in South Texas because you don't have furries yet. Or maybe you do. Do you guys have furries in your school? Yeah. yeah. No, not yet. So furries are kids that think they're animals. You know how many, and I was thinking, this is a thing. So schools are like, do, you know, adapting because, you know, Freddie thinks he's Fido. You know, and... You think mental health to the max on these kids, that's pretty bad. You know, bad parenting, whatever. Where I'm concerned is, where's the mental health on that school board? Where did your common sense just woof? So what I'm saying is we're living in a time where this thing about what goes up here, there's some crazy stuff going on. You know, it doesn't make any sense at all. Cater to, you know, the kid's sick, help him. But the kid's not a cat. And a parent that supports that is just as sick as the kid. And a school that supports us is just as sick as everybody else. But here's the thing. We don't want to get in trouble, politically correct, nonsense, so we just go down the path of letting crazy be crazy. 
Well, that's not correct. And we're, and we're creating some, some things that are really, really going to be damaged. I went on a tangent on that, but we're creating some things that are really, really damaging. One of the statistics I was, I was reading, that one of the, the greatest groups and one of the greatest things that's, that's going to come under depression is already under depression are young people. I'm talking teenagers. And one of the big things, the phone. Now, I'm not saying go take their phone away, but you've got to understand the isolation that comes from it, the loneliness that comes from it. So one of the biggest numbers increase in depression all across the world is the, what is it, 12 to 22s? And what happens when you have 12 to 22s? Well, they're going to grow into be 30s, and they're going to have kids. And guess what happens? When a parent doesn't manage depression, the statistics show that his children will develop depression. So that helps me prove a point that a lot of depression is not biological. It is taught. So church, I says, you're taking a long time, Pastor. Well, I'm building a foundation until you see how serious this thing is. Amen? Okay. So let's get into the word now. <laughs> let's go to Psalm 3418, and we're going to go into the word and then give you some, some things to take home this, this morning. I love this scripture. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, if you want to break that and translate that all out, he is talking about the inner fight, brokenness. He's talking about the inside of a man. You know, he's talking about crushed spirit, you know, where your insides don't want to do anything. Anybody been there where you don't even want to get out of bed anymore? So, he's, so, so the Bible says, first of all, the Lord is close. And what I want you to do from this point forward is everything I teach, you remember that. Wherever you are, you, you know, you, you, this might not even be a thing for you, and praise God it's not. But if you struggled with this or struggling with this, here's the thing. This is where you need to be. Because there will be simple things. And again, again, I already made a whole disclaimer about the biological ones, so we're not touching that. But all the other ones are how do I get from that, how do I get out of the slump? You know, life slapped me up. I lost a loved one. Things didn't go my way. And, and it's amazing how the devil does it because it's like, in my case, we've had some big, big, big issues, but usually it's a lot of little ones. Just piles of little ones in. And pretty soon your head's not in the game. And, you start, and the worst thing you do is you start blaming God or you start thinking, well, this whole God thing doesn't even work. And you just keep sinking and sinking and sinking and sinking. Amen? So you have to understand that God is close. So if you are at any point of these struggles, the very first thing you want to know is that, I'm, God, you're going to help me with this thing. And God will do it two ways. He'll do it by his spirit and he'll do it through teaching. And that's, what, that's my job. He'll do the spirit part. I'll do the teaching part. Amen? Okay. Philippians 4, 6, 7, and we'll be coming back a lot to this one. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get into the, you know, where we need to go. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So right there also gives you a key. How do I deal with this, Pastor? Prayer. And I'm not just saying, oh, you can't pray about it. Well, I'm going to, you know, show you steps and things. So one of the things is get God in the anxiety. Because, again, we keep putting this. I don't know why I keep hitting this point. Maybe somebody needs to hear it three times. We keep, you know, don't want to accept. If you are experiencing anxiety, if you are experiencing any kind of low thing in your life, the best thing you can do is go to God. But it's weird because our human nature, especially if we're spiritual people, we're like, oh, no, i got to deal with this. No, 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 no. Why do you have to deal with this one and then you give God everything else? Hello? Because we feel like it's something we got to deal with. No, God is close. So if you're brokenhearted this morning, or if you are in a situation where your spirit's been crushed for every reason, guess what? You're in a good place because God is close. 
And that's what we're going to learn. Now, this is where it's going to get. If you were here Wednesday night, you would have got most of the message. <laughs> You're like, oh, man, I would have stayed home today. All right, Psalm 23. I was studying this, and this is where the title of this message specifically came. How do I get through the valley? And this psalm has been preached and taught for thousands of years. Um, I always say this. I'll say it again. I hear it a lot in funerals. I will never use it in a funeral because, to me, it's not a funeral psalm. Because if you're doing a funeral, unless the guy went to hell, then it would be in the presence of his enemies. But in a funeral for a Christian, there's no enemies. All right? So let's break this down. Let's find out what the psalmist was talking about. And the more I study, and again, I don't want to turn something into, well, you just preach everything. No. There's a lot of key words here that we're going to break down. But you have to understand the context of these things and how it is presented. And I see a lot of things in Psalm 23, I guess the next slide, in Psalm 23, that refer to, or maybe the Holy Spirit showing me to, the idea of mental health. It's amazing. It's amazing. When you get on something, it's just everything you see. So let's, let's, let's just break it down. Most of you know it, so I'm not going to read it and then break it down. Let's just go. So it starts this way, and I'm going to show you the transitions and the preparation. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Let's stop there. I'm not going to you know, do a huge <laughs> hermeneutic sermon on 23, break every little phrase down, but that establishes who you listen to. That is the very first thing. If you read the Amplified, it says, the Lord is my guide, shepherd. I mean, they had a lot of ideas that there's no other place to look for. So the Lord is my shepherd. That establishes who's going to take care of you and what's his responsibility. And this is so important that you get that this morning because once you say, I'm going to give my life to God, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, in heaven, you're establishing that loyalty. Remember, all this is tied around covenants, and covenants are very serious to God. So when you say, the Lord is my shepherd, the attitude that comes from recognizing, if I can use this word, shepherdhood, or pastoral, because that's what he is, the Lord is my pastor, you could say, my shepherd, commitment to God. Because of that, I shall not want. I shall not want. And Amplified says, I shall not want or lack anything. Okay, so this is, I said, boom, boom, boom. Why? Because when we get into these ideas of what's wrong with me, why can't I get my thinking rate, you're going to have to say, what is it that we're missing? Because whatever we're missing, God has it. So we have to start there. Okay, then he goes on and says, and then, then there's this principle here that's really interesting. He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside the still waters. And again, that's exactly how it says from the original text. The idea of make... It's almost like a force. He forces me. You know, and it's, it's that father. Again, if you're a dad or a mom, you know what I'm talking about. One of the things that breaks my heart the most is, a, as a, as, and I'm not break hard like, oh, I'm depressed that, but just like, is that you know, you give advice to your kids or your grandkids because guess what? You already walked down the path and you already busted your teeth on it. So you're going to help them not bust their teeth. And they reject that. Isn't that heartbreaking? Because I like, dude, I was, I've already done it. I always tell people, guys, get, start investing. And they're like, ah, we just buy all this junk. I'm like, no, I mean, okay, don't do it then. You're going to regret it. It's, it's advice. And this is the same thing. He says, he makes me. Because we don't want to lie down in green pastures. We want to lie down in conflict pastures. 
<laughs> it's too boring in this house. Let's have a conflict pasture. It's too quiet. No, he makes me. He pushes me to green pastures. Because my nature is, I don't want it. It's too green. That's your nature too. In other words, God is not, he's not going to force you, but he's making you lie down represents two things. It represents that peace. Remember I told you joy is not happy. Joy is peace. So that represents the peace. He makes me to lie down. He, he's trying to get me to rest in a place of prosperity. Or green, if you want to put it that way, of life. But the next one is, he leads me by still waters. Why do you need still waters? Because if you imagine a raging river, you know, Colorado coming down the mountains, you can't drink water from the raging river. Because you'll pick you up and you'll, you're down the stream, you drown. You've got to find a place where the water's pushed to the side, and it's what? Still waters. The water represents the Holy Spirit. That's always been through the Bible. The Holy Spirit's all, you know, every time you find water, you could, you know, it's a, it's a type, not always, but, you know, a lot of times it's type and shadow of the Holy Spirit. So now you got God's authority over your life, the fact that he will supply all your needs, including your mental ones. That's why I'm bringing this up. He is trying to get you to a place of peace. He is trying to convince you that peace is the way. And he wants to lead you by his spirit. Have you guys established this? Because this is about to get really good. Those are, those are the key principles and by doing so the consequences become so for me i'll I'll read the consequence of three but verse one two and three are preparation they're just preparation god is preparing you for something that's not going to be fun god's preparing you for something that's not going to be easy but he loves you so much that he didn't just let you go through it he's preparing you by establishing his authority in your life, by establishing that he's your supplier, by saying, hey, you got to get this peace thing down. We've been talking about peace for months around here. It always comes up somewhere. And he says, you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. What happens then? He restores your soul. Well, your soul, we talked about this last week, is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Well, right now we're talking specifically about mind and emotions. If we, get, you know, if we have time, we'll get to that. But right there, he's saying, he restores my mind. Say it. My mind, my will, and my emotions. So if any of these areas are, are out there where you can't control them, he's saying right there. He restores my soul, and then he does one more thing before, before the valley of the shadow. That's why I'm saying this is preparation. This is all preparation. That's all it is. Righteousness is an old, old English word. just means right standing. Simple definition. When your kid's doing everything right, and he asks for 20 bucks, and you're like, sure, take 20 bucks, he's been righteous. <laughs> That's what it means. In other words, you're right with God, not because you're all cute and pretty and handsome. You're right with God because of the blood of Jesus. You're right with God because of the blood of Jesus. And, and the more faith you put into this, the greater the process and, and the application of everything else I'm going to say from this point forward. I got to establish those first three verses before I go anywhere else. And you could establish those first three verses in any area of your life. You want to start a business? Start it with those first three verses. Think about a business that's designed like that. The Lord is the shepherd of this business. You know, and it starts like that. And pretty soon, 
There's a testimony right there, right? The Lord is the shepherd of their business, and they're blessed. God's blessing them and growing it, and I've seen it. The Lord, you can bring God in anything. He can be the shepherd of your marriage. He can be the shepherd of your parenting. He can be the shepherd of whatever. The thing is, he will never invade, and he will never barge in. He'll try to make you to lay down in green pastures, but if you keep kicking him off, he's like, okay, if you don't want to lay down, okay, that's fine. Go over there and acuéstate con todos los cadillos, you know? Us Christians were like that. Green pastures, no, I like a lot of drama in my life, you know, let's get over here in the cadillos, you know? And then, the last line of verse 3 he does it because of covenant. To me, that, that last four words is what nails the whole thing for his name's sake. In other words, in the spirit realm, God's not going to let you down. He's not going to let you be shown up. He knows what you're made of. And even though you're going through the valley right now, and you say, I don't like it, Pastor. It's, it's tough. The, if you are in the valley, it's because God knows you got what it takes to walk through it. That's the only reason you're there, because in the New Testament it says he will never put you in something that you can't overcome. But valleys are part of life. And you might as well accept it, because I want to be on the mountain. Well, there's no mountain if there's no valley. You know why we don't have any valleys in South Texas? Because we've got no mountains. That's a, that's a dad joke. That's super bad. But mountain represents the high points of God. The mountain represents the place where Moses was. The mountain represents the place of the Shekinah, the glory, where, oh, I'm always on the mountain, everything's... Yeah, but you don't get to the mountain unless you go through the valley. You got that? Some of you are like, what's a mountain? Oh, my God, you got to get a child to Texas. <laughs> anyway, here we go. And now he's prepared you. He's tied his name into your victory. He's tied... If you do one, two, and three, he's tied his name into your victory. So if you... And again, we're bringing it back into what I'm teaching this morning. This applies to every area of your life. But you're saying, Pastor, I'm in a place in my life where I've been struggling with these challenges in my head and my thinking, you know, things in my life, things in my family, things that have come upon us, upon my family. Well, it all applies. And now we get to why he did it. That's why I say this is not a funeral psalm. There's a lot of beautiful psalms you can read in a funeral, but not this one. Because, I, if you're, if, you know, when my funeral, don't read this. Because I don't expect any shadow of death after I die. And if I get it, it's not going to help me you saying it in my funeral. I'm done. I, I, you know, I've had the privilege. Well, I'm trying to think if I've, well, maybe there's one I didn't know. And I didn't do it here. The guy called me to do a funeral for his dad. But um, I've had the privilege of doing funerals for believers, all believers. But I wonder, have you ever been to a funeral where the guy wasn't a believer? That's not, it doesn't happen, right? Even if the guy was, like, really bad, they always say, oh, he's in a better place. But you know deep down inside he didn't make it. <laughs> so, like, it's, like, weird, you know, like. Dude, that was a bad, he's not in a better, yeah, he's a better place, he's out of my life, that's good, you know. It's just weird how, how people, you know, do all this stuff. Anyway, let's get back on this. So he goes, yea, though I walk, meaning it's coming, so quit trying to avoid it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, let's stop. First of all, it's not the valley of death. This is really important. This is like one of the, you said, Pastor, you're going to pick through every single word? Yeah, probably. And then I'll start my preaching, okay? Once we finish with this one. Yea, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know why boxers, there's a, you know, I used to walk a lot with my dad. When he was alive, he loved boxing, so I, I don't watch it as much as I used to, but I used to love, he, I mean, he, you know, he would watch it, I would watch it. And I got into it, 
And I remember, you know, there's something that called shadow boxing. You know what I'm talking about? They put you in a gym. There's a specific wall with a specific light where your shadow is nice and clear. And you sit there and, you, you know, you govern your moves by what your shadow does. The beauty of it is you don't get hit. Hello. You can fight all day with your shadow and never get a nosebleed. Now, if you're stupid, you might break your knuckles because you hit the wall, right? But my point is it's just a shadow. It's not real. This is a very important point. A lot of the stuff that happens when we're talking about mental health and mental processing, and, and again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm about to, is happening in thought processes that aren't real. And they're just trying to convince you that they're real. Now, I'll show you that in a moment. So, so the shadow of death represents something that potentially could kill you, but it's not really real. I heard Brother Copeland say this years ago. It's super good. This is so Texas, right? He said, the shadow of a dog never bit anybody. That's true, right? A lot of the stuff in our, that, 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 that attacks our brain or our mind or think about our shadows. Think about it. Because a lot of the information that launches us into a depressive situation where we're thinking it's either going to be regrets from the past. We're back to that, right? Regrets from the past or fear of the future. That's primarily where the, where the depression's coming. It's, it's, it's very rarely of just the present condition because the precedent condition is always changing. It's always moving. It's always dynamic. Your present's always dynamic. What is not dynamic is your past. Hello. Yeah, this is what I'm, saying. I'm getting ahead of myself, but this may be the time to insert it. Here's what happens. I, I heard somebody say, emotions aren't real. And I don't agree with that. The emotions aren't real. I'm like, no, they're real because I felt them. And depression is real because I felt it. And being in a dark place is real because I felt it. And laughing is real because I laugh a lot. Glory to God. That's an emotion, right? Being happy, being sad, emotions. What is not real, you ready? Are memories. And if you sit there long enough and you play with that memory, a sad memory or a memory that brought you to a depressive place, you, hit, you sit there, that memory could be 10 years old. That memory could be 30 years old. And you sit there, play on enough, your emotions will ignite. You agree with that statement? It happens to me. I mean, I've said this, it hasn't happened lately, but the day, it's been a while now, maybe eight months ago, those rare times when I actually get enough energy to clean my tool shed. And I was going through some boxes, and a, and a picture of my mom fell out. Well, my mom passed away in 2001. No, 2002, I'm sorry. March 2002. And I love my mom dearly, like most people love their moms. And I was just seeing the picture fell, and I picked it up, and, and I started to put it back, and I, and I, I kind of like paused. And it wasn't about 30, 40 seconds that all those emotions started building up about how much I miss her. And that's, you know, that's okay. It's okay to cry. I mean, don't, don't, it's, not, it's not a bad emotion. What I'm saying is one photo brought a memory that is not real because that already happened. In other words, it was real when she passed away in her present. But once after she passed away, that's just a memory. It, it has no real life, how could I put it, power, unless you give it the power. By how? Overthinking it. Because all it takes is to overthink it, overthink it. So what I'm saying is the shadows are those things that, that aren't, really real, aren't really real anymore. But your brain just loves to go and pick at those things. Somebody said, well, what did I say? I, I'm, that's the way I am, man. I can get sad about something I mishandled. I'll go back and beat myself up about every word I preach here. That's just, I'm, I'm trying to overpower that, but I'll, I'll go back and say, I wonder if I said it right. Sometimes I'll go back and hear the, the podcast. It's like, oh, man, I shouldn't have said that. 
It doesn't matter. I already said it. Obviously, you, I said some dumb things last week. You came back, so we're good. I'll try to avoid the dumb things this week, right? <laughs> so shadows, when you're fighting your mental fight, are they real or are they shadows? That only you can define it. Now, there are some things that are very real. Don't, don't misunderstand. Not every, not every, but again, going back, to bi- going back to biological depression, that is a very real. Those aren't shadows. Those are chemical situations. They've been analyzed. You've got blood work. You know, you've got numbers. That is not a fantasy. That's not a shadow. The doctor tells you you've got cancer. That's not a shadow. Now, you're going to fight it in the natural. You're going to fight it by faith. But that's no longer a shadow. That's real. A shadow is something that, you, that, that is trying to get in your head to convince you it's real to the point. And I'll tell you when you, I'll tell you, when you release your faith, when your emotions kick in. When you kick that thing with your emotion, you've put the hook in it. And you got that memory. And that memory, if you just let that memory fly by, it will fly by. But, but it's, trying to, it's trying to plant itself, right? It's trying to get in a place to break you. And once you set your hook on that memory, your emotions will kick in. Now, it isn't bad. I can think of stuff that makes me, that made me happy. Now, for example, if I think of, of, you know, the last thing that made you happy last month, some of you are like, nothing. Oh, you you can go back to that moment and relive it. Now, that's one of the things, you know, I, I love about photography. That's one of my biggest hobbies and passions I have is photography is, is a photo. There is nothing like a photography that will bring you back to that moment. It, just, it could be, you know, a 40-year-old photo and it will bring you back, just like it did with my mom. So remember, we... Don't want to fight shadows. It's your job to identify them. Is it real or is it a shadow? Amen? Now he goes on to say, yeah, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. So shadows aren't real. Then he begins with these, little, these ideas. I will fear no evil. In the valley, fear will be there. That's the whole point of it. That's why you're there. If the devil can get you to fear, he's got you. The Hebrews chapter 2, it says that he controlled everybody through fear. I uh, believe Hebrews 2.14. So, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. So that establishes verse 1 again. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm telling you, right here, if you, if, if you go through it, most of the things that you struggle with, you know, mentally can be resolved just by reading and, and understanding some of these things. It says, you are with me. Rod and staff represent protective gear for the shepherd. The rod and staff represented two things. One of them to beat the wolves away and every other critter and lions or whatever, but it also represented keeping the flock together. Not by beating them down, but by, you know, that's what the staff was in the rod. So once again, your rod and your staff, what do they do? Pay attention, guys. Keep it in context. They bring comfort. One of the biggest things that you struggle when you struggle with depression and, and most people that, and again, I'm not talking again, I keep saying this, not the biological one, is that all we want is comfort. Ah, oh, just get this thing off of me. Well, he says right there, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Well, if you go back, and again, I could preach this all day, but if you go back and break up rod and staff, there's all kinds of stuff that happens with rod and staff. When, Mo, when he told Moses, how am I supposed to do this? And Moses was, you talk about and somebody was introvert and all messed up, was Moses. He says, I don't have anything to prove to Pharaoh that I can do this. He says, what's in your hand? And he looks down, and he had a staff. 
And with that staff, he became a serpent. With that staff, he opened the Red Sea. With that staff, he did all kinds of stuff. So God will give you the tools. That's what that means. God will give you the That's why you don't fear, because you have, it's not your tools. They are his tools, and because in his tools, guess what? They have never failed. Never, ever, ever failed. That's why they can bring comfort in my life. And when I'm in that deep, dark place, if I can just go, and, and I'll show you some of these applications before we finish. You know, you bring comfort, Lord. And I've experienced it so many times of just being in, in a sunken place with no, really no answers, just kind of confused, and then just, you know, say, no. I'm, and the thing is, it takes discipline. And I'll give you, you know, it takes time. Because, you know, God is not, God is not McDonald's drive through all right? So if you, if you don't have time for God, just forget about everything else. Because I've learned in God, God is a God, that, and, and it's not that he takes time, it's that he builds stuff. You want this fixed, he says, yeah, I can fix that, but before I can fix that, I've got to build like all this inside of you, because just giving you this is not going to fix you. That's how it works. So God takes time, and you pray, and, and if you're in a struggle, you never give up. Every time you feel down, you say, thank Lord, you're my shepherd. And you just day in, day out. It's like taking your vitamins. Proverbs says it's, it's medicine unto my flesh. Amen. And I like this. Now, you could even say, what does table represent? Covenant. He, rep- he, t- he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What that means is that God is showing your enemies, which are spiritual, that you're a covenant child. That's what it means, because nobody sits at the table unless you're in covenant. In the Jewish mind and the Jewish culture, in, in Mexican culture, we guys know, I mean, it's, at least when I grew up in, in Mexico, meal is really, I mean, if you, you know, if somebody invites you to lunch and you just, it's not like up here like, ah, I don't go. Down there, it's like, dude, it's pretty serious. You don't get invited back. Right, Marcos? I mean, si te invitan a comer y, ay, no puedo, it's, okay, está bueno. That's your last invite to that house. <laughs> I mean, they're just, they're just the way, because those meals represent, the, I mean, it's going back to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of covenant. That meal was a covenant table. Remember the Lord's Supper? That meal was a covenant table. Remember Jesus on, on, you know, on the way to his death? He said, I don't want this cup to pass. Let this cup pass before me. What was he represent? The cup of covenant. You prepare us a table in the presence of my enemies. So what are your enemies? The darkness, the dep- all these things that are coming against you, or even the circumstances. Guess what? God knows your condition. This is about going through things. This is not about trying to, well, I'm just going to avoid it. I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just going to confess it away. <laughs> it's not going to work. Because he says, this is, this is how it takes. And the beauty of this, I'll throw this way out in the front, is that every time you go through something, at least I'm talking for myself now, it wasn't fun. Sometimes it was painful. But you became stronger. You became a better person. You had more compassion for people. It's just weird. I mean, when you go through challenges in life, you know, and you, and you go through it with God, you come back, you come out a better person. There are things that, that I asked God to change in my character for many years, and it wasn't happening, and maybe I wasn't putting enough energy into it, but all it took is for our family to face different crises <laughs> and manage them and, and figure some stuff out, and it fixed it. Now, I don't, I don't like the crisis, but guess what? I got the benefit. Because here's the thing, if you're going to go through some stuff, you might as well get some advantage of it. Because you're still going to go through it. And you can come out and say, I'm on my way to the mountain. Or you can just say, I'm going to build a house in the valley because I'm so depressed. Because even though I walk through the valley, it doesn't say I'm going to build a house in the valley. It doesn't say I'm going to live in the valley. I'm going to walk through it. There are going to be seasons in my life that are not going to be happy. But I, I'm not going to stay there, church. 
Are you here this morning? And here it comes. Here comes the good ones, and then we're going almost, we're almost to land this, guys. You anoint my head. <laughs> Oil in the Old Testament was healing. It was about healing. That's all it was about. The, the shepherd, going back to the shepherd, he would carry his staff or rod, sometimes two, or sometimes one was shorter than the other, and he would carry salt, and if they, were, they could afford it, they would carry vinegar, and guess what? They would carry oil. Because oil would keep the bugs off. It would heal. So oil was always about healing. But what I love about this is you anoint my head. You anoint my head. Why is this represented? Because the head always represents the main part of the human. The head of the church is Jesus. Your head. It says the oil would be poured over the head. I mean, you know how we anoint, and you know, we're Pentecostal, we haven't used oil in a long time, and the reason, there's a reason I stopped, because with our culture, people want, it was, dame la aceitita, Jesus, all right? You'll fall into witchcraft, you know, real quick with that stuff. But I'm serious, it's crazy stuff. But the oil, <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story about that one. When I was doing prison ministry way back, 1993, something like that, so in prison, you have like these guys, and all they do is read the Bible. Some are really spiritual. Some are really great guys. And they had brought this guy that was, I guess they, they said he was demon-possessed. And they said, you know, and we would go, and we had oil. You know, I'd go with the pasture. We had a little bottle of oil, and, you know, because that's what you do. You put a little tiny bit on your hand. You pray for people, right? Come on, y'all have been, anybody been anointed with oil? You have a little drop, you know, you get anointed. That's Bible, by the way. It's biblical. Nothing wrong with it. <laughs> but in the Bible, the way they anointed was the way these prisoners anointed so they got this guy up here, and two guys are holding him. And then the other prisoner, which is kind of like the chaplain, and I'm there, and the pastor's there, and they can't have oil because, you know, we've got to bring it from the outside. And they let us bring it in because we're preachers or whatever. So, so he hands him the oil, and he goes like this to put his hand, and the guy grabs the whole bottle. This is a true story. And I'm just standing back, and he goes, we're gonna, and he goes like this, and pours the whole bottle on this guy. I mean, the guy's dripping oil. There's oil on the floor. It was hilarious. You know, it's like he's, his hair is all oily. And I'm like, that guy's been anointed for sure. You know, I mean, there's oil on his pants. There's oil in his socks, you know. Well, in the Old Testament, that's how they would anoint. If you read the psalm about the anointing on Aaron, have you heard, read that? They say how it flows off his beard. Because they would literally pour the oil over a person. They just drench him. And the psalmist describes it as the oil that runs off of Aaron's beard. Aaron was the high priest. That's how much oil. My only point of that story, that's how much oil God is giving you to fix you. He's not holding back. He's not giving you, ah, let's get a little drop there. Maybe that will fix you. No, he is abundantly anointing you. Now, you have to do your part, and that's where we're kind of headed. But he is anointing your head. He wants you clear thinker. He wants you to be in control of it. How about that one? Okay, here's a question. Who's in control of your head? Boom, right? That was the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Who's in control of your head? Doesn't somebody get in there that's not supposed to? Surely, oh, of course, my cup runs over. How could I miss that one? You anoint my head with oil, and it's so much healing that I have to give it away now. It's overflowing. Again, it's not a little bit. When you're struggling with, and again, this is not just a mental health scripture. You can use it for any area of your life. When God gets involved, he doesn't hold back. He anoints you fully and completely. Are you still here this morning? Y'all sound super sleepy. Okay. All right, let me see. I need to land this down. 
Oh, Jesus. So I said I was going to create a path for you guys. Okay. We're almost done, guys. I just want to, I want you, you're never going to see Psalm 23 again. I'm not sure where our slides are. What's the next one, Arjun? Okay. Let's talk about this. So next week, because I'm already kind of landing this, and I just want to, I, did, I do want to give you some things to take home, because I did promise. That was the title of the message, right? Paths to, you know, to get through the valley. So next week, we're really going to kind of talk about, and again, it's all, biblical and scripture-based and all that, how the emotions and all that work, but that, that's a big part. So here's, and I already mentioned this, memories come back many times as emotions. That's why I say, remember, I told you I got ahead of myself. Emotions are real, but remember this. This, is a, this one helped me yesterday, trust me. I have to practice these things. Emotions are real. Don't say they're not. But guess what they're also? They're temporary. When you feel like you just want to kill somebody, you know, well, maybe that's too extreme. Not like you've never done it. Or somebody cuts you off. What's your reaction? I pray for them, Pastor. But, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I've seen you all dry. I mean, anger. You know, I was, I was studying, you know, the people that, that one of the symptoms of depression is anger. Boom. <laughs> I'm not depressed. I'm just mad. Yeah, you're it's amazing. I mean, there's so much to unpack, guys. There, there's so many hours of studying this. It's unreal information that I've acquired over studying this thing. But emotions are not real. They are temporary. Practice that one this week. When you feel something did rub you the wrong way, when you feel something is not right, when you're, you know, when, the, when right there with your marriage, you got a chance to have a big argument or your kids aren't operating or all this stuff, take, some, take a break, you know, breathe. Because if you just give it a little time, that emotion will move over. And the, be- the good thing is, if you learn, that's what emotion, you know, that's what emotional intelligence is. And that's what we're talking about like, like next week. And the Bible has a lot of this. But the emotional part of man, you need it. There's a reason you have emotions. And it can be very primitive. One of them is so you don't get eaten by a bear. That's really, I mean, flight or fight. Right, H? Emotions are, I mean, if you want to go strictly biological, that's why you have emotions in there. Because bears coming, you need extra energy. Run. You're scared and you're crying, right? Emotions. Well, that's fine if it's a bear coming, but most of the time it's not a bear. Most of the time it's not worth the emotion that you attach to it. Amen? And we blow up over crazy little things. You know, little things don't, you know, so one of the things you want to go home this week is learn to recognize your emotions. Just, because here's what's hilarious. Most of you don't know you. I don't know Kelvin all the way because my emotions keep sneaking up on me. And I don't like that. I don't like them to come uninvited. Come on, church. Have you ever had emotions uninvited? You're having a perfect good day and something hits you and you just start weeping or you just start getting in a, in a place that you don't want to be? So we should be able to manage the emotional man. The emotional man should just run rampant whenever he feels like it. But emotions are real, but they are Temporary. And here's the thing. Emotions aren't a movie. The movie is the memory. Emotions are a feeling. And now, here's the problem. If you govern your life primarily through the emotional man, you, you have a tendency to be extremely depressed. Extremely depressed because the emotion, one of the things that the, 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 the emotional man cannot do is manage expectations correctly. And that's one of the biggest problems we have. Managing expectations is the key to managing depression. Why did I mention that? Because our expectations 
are what drives us. Expectations is what drives everybody. You showed up this morning expecting something. You, had an, you, you even have an expectation of me. And here's the thing. As long as I'm delivering according to your expectation, oh, I love Pastor Box. But as long as my delivery, or I say something that is contrary to your expectation, eh. are you with me? I'm not talking about everything. Why do you go to the movie? Of an expectation. Why do you get excited when somebody says, I'm going to take you to lunch? Well, probably because probably you're not going to pay, but other than that... The expectation is somebody else is going to pay for lunch. Expectations drive us. So here's the question. Because I'm saying one of the key, I'm already hitting them, the key factors of depression to me is why I expect. So if I tell my son to do something or my grandson and they don't do it according to what I said, now I have anger. But here's the thing. Was that person capable to meet my expectations? Because it's not fair for anybody to meet your expectations. It's not fair for them. It's not fair for you. Because, you know, and here's where this is important. Because when something doesn't meet your expectations, what is, what is the emotional response? You feel you're missing. Which connects to depression, connects to I'm missing something, you know. And, I, and I'll give you examples. You text me. Or I'll just talk about people in this church that don't text back. You know, I called you Sunday. I'm still waiting for the call back. I don't need a message. Check it. You probably deleted it. That's just a personal thing between us. We'll resolve it later. But it's a perfect example of what I'm about to preach. I called H on Sunday. Good thing I wasn't, like, desperate need of survival. But you call somebody. This is the, I'm, I'm saying how depression and expectations connect. Follow me. You text somebody. Hey, you know, blah, 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 bing. You, you do this at 8 in the morning. Send it. You're fine. At 12, you know, you check your phone, no answer. Now your expectations are kicking in. I wonder why you didn't answer. Now you're going back, oh, maybe he remembered that I cussed him out 20 years ago. <laughs> expectations. Why didn't he answer? Why didn't he text me back? I expected him to text me back. Now you're getting worked up. Now you're getting emotionally distraught. Well, maybe he doesn't like me. Maybe she doesn't like me. Maybe I'm no good. I'm just going to kill myself. Because somebody didn't text you back. Sad to say, that's how it's connected. That's how it's connected. I mean, I'm using super silly examples, but the truth is very true. What are your expectations for all the people around you, the people that you love, your family? Are your expectations correct? Because if they're not correct, they will always be a source of depression for you. It will always be a source of depression. Well, he didn't call me. She didn't show up. They didn't give me. They didn't do. They didn't die. They did, da, 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 da. And meanwhile, your brain can't handle this. Because even though they're shadows, you are transforming them into real things now. They were shadows because it's, you know, what's an expectation? You know, I have expectations, and God bless you guys, because I count my Sundays like my triumphs. This is a third triumph Sunday. Let's keep it going, guys. We've got to roll. But my expectation is every chair filled every service. And then I come, and like, today the church looks so good. It's awesome, right? But sometimes you come down, and, you know, it's like, I don't know what y'all decided not to come. Y'all text each other, like, hey, let's not go to church this Sunday. We'll, we'll just catch up next Sunday. Right, Kathy? It's like a handful of people, like, where is everybody? If I'm not careful, my expectation will cause me depression. Because now I'm depressed because you didn't show up. 
and you're not even thinking about it. Now, that's not a reason to come to church. Well, I better go to church because God's just going to get depressed. No, please don't. <laughs> Actually, if everyone left, I just... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> be careful to manage... It. So I told you I was giving you pathways this week. What are your expectations about everything? Are they toxic or are they true? Are they elevated or are they inflated? Meaning, maybe you expect, wait, does that person have the capacity to text back when he's supposed to. No, I know that for sure. There's a lot of that on this front row. I'm going to walk away because there are a lot of non-texters on this front row. So. <laughs> are you driven by your expectations? Work on that this week. You guys, you guys already got two instructions this week. Amen? All right. I, I, was, I have one more, but I don't want to. I think we're done. Well, let, let, no, throw the other one out. I'll just, we'll, we'll start here next week. Because I did, I did want to give you some steps. If you want to take a screenshot or write this, and I'll try to be brief, and I'll pick it up here next week. So here are my steps. If you are in a place, you want something to do this week with crazy thoughts, toxic thoughts, depressive thoughts, number one, pray about it. <laughs> That's the first one. That's what Jesus said, prayer and supplication, right? Make your requests known unto God. And then we'll talk about this more week, next week. I'll give you more but you have, you know, you have a phone, you got Google. Emotional intelligence, look it up. It's the ability to recognize and understand and manage our own emotions as well as the emotions of others. Meditation. And again, I'm going to break all these down next week. What is biblical meditation? Well, to focus on the positives in your life. And again, we'll talk hands-on. Mindfulness. You know, mindfulness, the simplest definition of mindfulness is becoming aware of your moment. And that's what I preached a lot last year. You know, learning to be in your present, learning to live in the now. That's what mindfulness is. Primarily, you know, there's a lot more. Social support. Do you have people close to you that you can talk to? Talking is one of the best therapies out there, believe it or not. Actually, I'm, they're kind of mixed up, but you know what are the number two non-medical therapies for depression? Exercise and talking. Isn't that amazing? Exercise? Like, ah, I don't want to do that. Well, then talk. Okay? So, um, social support. Do you have a network? Do you have somebody? Not a network. You have somebody. One person, all you need. That is not going to Put your life out there on Facebook that, that has that, you know. And that's what church is beautiful because in church, every one of you should have, like, really good relationships, like prayer relationships, like, hey, I'm not having a good day. Can you, you know, just pray with me? Or, and that person will talk to you. So you need to have a social support. And obviously be active. I already mentioned that, you know. It's, it's been shown, you know, people that are, you know, don't do a lot, stay home, watch TV, you know, stagnant lifestyle, they will have way, way more tendency for depression than somebody that's active. Um, avoid unnecessary stress. We'll talk about stress and all that next week. Make time for things you enjoy. I, want, I really wanted to get to this point, so y'all bear with me here for a minute. Do you still know what you want to do? Because you did know when you were a teenager. You did know when you were a kid. But did life steal your dreams? Because that is a big one to keep your mind in the right place. You have to have what you like. What, what do you like to do? Do you like to paint? Do you like art? You know, what, what is it do you like? You have to find and you have to make time for that. Another one is eat well. Not eat well like a lot. <laughs> That's what happens. You look like me if you eat well a lot. No, but you know, and, and again, I'm, this is not, you know, the church can't do all the work for you. But if this is something, there's a lot of brain foods out there that help you with stress hormones and other things just by natural food. And so look it up. I mean, I'm not going to do all the work for you. I've done it. 
And then this one is really interesting, the cognitive behavioral training. And we'll talk about that next week. And that's, I've been studying a lot. This, this is super interesting. And that is one of the main things that people are using, and it's growing. And I'm talking from the secular side. We approach it from the spiritual side. But that is a very interesting one. And, of course, get enough sleep. That goes without saying. I think most of us could figure that one out. <laughs> and the last one, and I, I did open with this before I let you go, is if you feel that that's not enough, then there is nothing. We open with this, we close it with this, and I'll keep pushing this. There is nothing wrong with seeking help. Because there's nothing wrong with seeking a therapist if you want to start at that level and then move up the scale, you know, depending on how, where you're at. But a lot of stuff can get resolved. Because here's what happens, you know, and this is something that I've recognized in my life. You know, I've been counseled people all these years, and stuff, but there's a lot of things that I just don't know. And your blind side will always be your blind side. Meaning you might know a lot about a lot of stuff, but you have a blind side that somebody else doesn't. That's where you seek professional help. That's where you talk to somebody that might give you a different perspective. Because we are telling, oh, we got it all together. No, we don't. And, you know, there's nothing wrong. You know, I was for people to go talk. And, again, especially if you find somebody that, that understands what CPT is and goes down that path, it's super interesting. And, again, I was studying this deeply, and it's amazing because a lot of the CBT principles are right out of the Bible. I, I'm, I'm thinking somebody create. Have you, have you studied all that? You look into that. It's, it's interesting because a lot of these, there's like steps to do, right? But a lot of them are like, you can say, oh, so I, and, you know, for a pastor, you go, oh, scripture, scripture, scripture. And I'm going down the whole list of things that they recommend. I'm like, that is so cool. I'm, I'm assuming like some Holy Ghost person got in there and say, I got to package this for secular people, so I got to get, and, but, but it's going to help them. So that is, and really, at the end of a lot of the behavioral training, a lot of it is conversation. So, you all get something out of that whole thing? <laughs> Stand to your feet this morning. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray. But I do want to, I want you to take home this idea of what Psalm 23 means. It, it's just been so rich this week. We, we talked about it Wednesday night. And man, it just, we prayed right after that. And prayer was so good here. But, you know, here's this thing. And I want to, you know, we are in a church. This is not a clinic. Well, it is a clinic of the spirit if you want to. But if you're here this morning and some of this has resonated or a lot of it has resonated, I just want to tell you, you don't have to be alone in these struggles. I know it's a very hard to open up. It's very hard to find the right person to talk to. And that's why I always say if you don't have anybody in your inner circle that you can open up, go find somebody that you can. That will not judge you. That will not put your business out there, whatever. But, you know, here's the thing. There, to me, it's like almost a violation of covenant for the body of Christ not to have a pathway, a clear pathway, to not bury ourselves in this. Because the struggle is real, guys. And you just can't keep putting it away and say, okay, I'm just having a bad day. Yeah, you might be having a bad day, but there are things, and we'll, again, we'll talk about a lot of this next week, that we can work through, and the Holy Spirit will help us, and you can begin to enjoy your life. And you can really, truly, truly, truly begin to have a happy life. Not just happy moments, a happy life. A life that is satisfied with your relationships, with your thinking, with, you know, it just, that's what happy is, you know, a peaceful life. So this morning, I want to pray for you right there where you are. I want to do two things. Number one, the biggest one is, if you don't know Lord Jesus, it's your born-again Savior. You've never given your life to Jesus. Or you're here this morning, and you're like, I just need to connect back to God. This is a prayer for you. And then the next one, you don't need to repeat it. I'll pray that one for you. And it's just this theme that if you're, if you're struggling with this and if this is something that has been on your life, we are, we, you are in a place of faith.
you are in a place where we're going to believe and we're going to pray. And, and it doesn't matter if you feel anything. Remember I told you things with God take time? We're going to pray for that. And I'm going to break any negative spirit, any spirit of Satan that tries to just keep you in this place. Our God is bigger. We talked a lot of science and medical stuff, but we are not going to put it away. God is bigger than all of it. So say this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come before you just as I am, and I give you my life. I thank you for saving me. I thank you for calling me out. And today, I give you my life. I promise to serve you every day of my life. Amen. See, if you pray that prayer, you're born again. That's it. Grace. There's nothing else to do. Now you grow and you learn and you, you know, seek help and all that. So if, that, if you prayed that prayer in this building for the first time, you know, let somebody know at the Welcome Center before we leave. If you did it online, make sure you know in the comments or private message. Just like say, I prayed the prayer for the first time. And we'll get back to you and encourage you in some form. The next prayer is this one. Only you and you know the struggles. I know my struggles that I've had to manage and still manage. But you are in the house of God. You are in the place where we believe in the supernatural. Like I said at the beginning, if you're on medicine, I'm not saying take off your medicine. Let the doctor determine that. But we do believe in the God of miracles. And we do believe in the God of healing. And our God created the brain. (laughs) Our God created the mind and created all that. So this morning, I just want you to open your heart. Again, there's no bringing people up front, nothing like that, because I know this is a very sensitive thing. But I want you to, I want to say this. I want to be careful what I'm going to say because I've got to add a tag to it. It's okay not to be okay. But now that we recognize that we're not okay, then it's okay to find the help. Be it spiritual, natural, or both. So right now we're going to cover the spiritual. So if that's you, just you know, open your heart to receive. You want to raise a hand to heaven, that's fine. But we're going to stop with this craziness. After COVID, this thing was released at a greater. And I'm talking Satan. The spirit of depression was released at a greater way over this nation, over the children, over young people. You've probably seen it on your kids. We're done. We are not like that. So, Father, I come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. As we are navigating through this series, Lord, we come first and foremost, Spirit. And you said, Father, in Psalm 23, that you anoint our head. And right now, I pray over every person in this room, every person online watching this, every person that will go back to the podcast and hear this, Father, that in the name of Jesus, the strongholds of uncontrolled thinking, of negative thinking, of those thoughts that come and just want to bury us, those thoughts of remorse, the thoughts of regret, thoughts of fear of the future, all these things that just bombard us all day, Father, in the name of Jesus. I take authority in the name of Jesus, and I bind every spirit that has come to mess with our people, to come mess with me. No, we have the mind of Christ. Say that, I have the mind of Christ. Uh, Just think about that a bit. I wonder what thoughts Jesus thinks, right? I have the mind of Christ. I am not going to bury myself in self-pity or depression or doubt. I have the mind of Christ. I'm going to meditate on this. So, Father, right now we break any stronghold in this house. And I believe, Father, that by the end of this series, there's going to be so many people free. 
They're going to see life like they've never seen. And depression, anxiety, and every dark thing is broken off of you now in the name of Jesus. I believe that with all my heart. I release my faith in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Woo, can you give the Lord praise this morning? Amen. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated for a moment. Man, I didn't get to a lot of stuff. It's amazing how everything we think, I was going to say a couple of things, but I'm not going to kind of try to land this, but I was going to use one scripture that I didn't get to. It's kind of like our jumping off scripture next week. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me get there. Okay, actually it's four. Four. Look at verse 17. I mean, if you're not there, I'll just read it, and then, and then we're going to pick up this morning's offering. But it has, it's kind of connects. It says, for, for our light affliction, and the word affliction that was in the Bible was the word adversity, which also means mental challenge and war, which is bit for a moment. Say moment. Remember I told you emotions are, are temporary? They're real, but they're temporary. That's that moment right there. Worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. And here it is. While we look not at the things which are seen, but also you could say which are felt. We don't look at our, what we see and we don't look at what we feel. But the things which are seen, for the, th- for the things which are not seen. For the things which are not seen, meaning spirit. Now the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And that's really what all this is about. We're trying to take unseen principles and incorporate them into just daily life. Daily life, daily life. And I really, really want to encourage you this week, put that effort into it, amen? Put that effort into it. Amen, I need to stop preaching. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's pick up this morning's offering. Um, You guys know what to do. I'm not going to take any more time. I do want to thank everyone for their generosity and, you know, everything they're doing. Pastor Yoel, we've still got a couple logistic things, so I don't have the... So not not this coming weekend... But he will be here the following weekend. So in two weeks, Pastor Joel from Cuba will be here. And I would like for you to you know, make, make time to come. He'll be speaking in Spanish. I'll translate into English. But you want to hear him. You know, a lot of wonderful things are happening in Cuba. And it's because of your work. You know, there's a lot of areas.